man do you really ask us to believe, Sir Wilfred was saying, that you have discovered a means for instructing animals in the art of human speech, and that dear old Toba Murray has proved your first successful pupil? It is a problem at which I have worked for the last seventeen years, said Mr. Appin. But only during the last eight or nine months have I been rewarded with glimmerings of success. Of course, I have experimented with thousands of animals, but latterly only with cats, those wonderful creatures which have assimilated themselves so marvelously with our civilization while retaining all their highly developed feral instincts. Here and there among cats, one comes across an outstanding superior intellect, just as one does among the rock of human beings. And when I made the acquaintance of Tobimori a week ago, I saw at once that I was in contact with a beyond cat of extraordinary intelligence. I had gone far along the road to success in recent experiments with Tobimori, as you call him. I have reached the goal. That's from the Edwardian era short story Tobimori by Hector Hugo Monroe, born 1870 died 1916. He's also known by the pen name Saki. Welcome to the Literary Catcast, a podcast that brings you vintage books that feature cats as main characters in the writing. I'm your host, Phoebe Phillips. With the release of Downton Abbey's movie, it seems appropriate to bring you a piece from the Edwardian era. So for this episode, I want you to envision a scene from the Abbey. You're there, walking through the formal dining room, drawing rooms, the library. Sterling silver polished, crystal gleaming. Each room filled with flowers fragrant from the estate gardens. Residents and guests sit with their backs straight as boards in perfect posture. Manners and protocol worn only as a second skin. And then there's... The cat. Tobin Murray. Recently taught to talk by Mr. Appen. Toby, as he's fondly called, doesn't speak in childish gibber. He's accomplished in both his language and observational skills. Out of the mouths of babes? Hmm. Well, in this story, it's out of the mouth of the cat. This era covers the brief reign of Queen Victoria's son, Edward, Prince of Wales, who became King Edward VII at the time of her death in January 1901. Hence, time goes from the Victorian era to the Edwardian era. King Edward had a brief reign from 1901 to 1910. Although the period is considered not to have ended in 1910 at his death, but at the outbreak of the First World War in 1914. As is true in Downton Abbey, this period loved the luxuries of life. Formality was not saved for special occasions. It was daily. The author, Hector Hugo Monroe, H.H., whom I refer to by his pen name, Saki, for the rest of this podcast, was a British author whose writings satirized Edwardian society and culture. He was considered a master at the short story. At the start of the First World War, Monroe was 43 years old and officially over age to enlist. But he did so anyway and joined as an ordinary trooper. 
He later rose to the rank of Lance Sergeant. More than once, he returned to the battlefield when officially still too old, too sick, or injured. In November 1916, he was sheltering in a shell crater in France when he was killed by a German sniper. After his death, his sister Ethel destroyed most of his papers. Tober Mori was written in 1911. It's a masterpiece short story satirizing the pretentiousness and stupidity of Edwardian high society. In this story, a man named Cornelius Appen has taught the Blimley's cat, Tobamori, to talk. The guests are given more than they planned as he reveals their affairs, gossip, and their dimwittedness. At a house party in late August, Mr. Appen is invited as one of the guests to prove to high society that Tobamori is his first successful pupil. The party guests are in disbelief that a cat can talk, even comprehend simple sentences. As the guests await, Sir Wilfred Blimley goes off in search of the cat. He finds him in another room. In a minute, Sir Blimley is back, exasperated with excitement. By God, it's true, he declares. I found him dozing in the smoking room and called out to him to come for his tea. He blinked at me in his usual way, and I said, Come on, Toby, don't keep us waiting. And by God, he drawled out in the most horrible natural voice that he'd come when he dashed well pleased. I nearly jumped out of my skin, said Sir Blimley. In the midst of this clamor, Tobermory entered the room and made his way with velvet tread and studied unconcern across to the group seated round the tea table. A sudden hush of awkwardness and constraint fell on the company. Somehow, there seemed an element of embarrassment in addressing on equal terms a domestic cat. And at that, I bring you the cat cast. I'm only going to read a small portion to pique your interest. There are many beautiful readings on YouTube by British actors, so I cannot do it proper justice. To find these actors, go to YouTube and type in Tobermory Saki. T-O-B-E-R-M-O-R-Y Tobermory Saki, S-A-K-I. The story is told in about 18 minutes. Now, <laughs> I can hear my tea kettle. And my cat, Harold, is close by. So, it means it's time for the cat cast story. Will you have some milk, Tobermory? asked Lady Blimley in a rather strained voice. I don't mind if I do, was the response couched in a tone of indifference. A shiver of suppressed excitement went through the listeners and Lady Blimley might be excused for pouring out the saucerful of milk rather unsteadily. I'm afraid I've spilt a good deal of it, she said apologetically. After all, it's not my Axminster, was Tobermory's rejoinder. Another silence fell on the group, and then Miss Resker, in her best district visitor manner, asked if the human language had been difficult to learn. Tober Moray looked squarely at her for a moment, 
and then fixed his gaze serenely on the middle distance. It was obvious that boring questions lay outside his scheme of life. What do you think of human intelligence? asked Mavis Pellington lamely. Of whose intelligence in particular? asked Tobermory coldly. Oh, well, <laughs> mine, mine, for instance, said Mavis with a feeble laugh. You put me in an embarrassing position, said Tobermory, whose tone and attitude certainly did not suggest a shred of embarrassment. When your inclusion in this house party was suggested, Sir Wilfrid protested that you were the most brainless woman of his acquaintance, and that there was a wide distinction between hospitality and the care of the feeble-minded. Lady Blemley replied that your lack of brain power was the precise quality which had earned you your invitation as you are the only person she could think of who might be idiotic enough to buy their old car. You know, the one they call the Envy of Sisyphus, because it goes quite nicely uphill, if you push it. Lady Blemley's protestations would have had greater effect if she had not casually suggested to Mavis only that morning that the car in question would be just the thing she needed down at her Devonshire home. Major Barfield plunged in heavily to effect a diversion. How about your carryings-on <laughs> with the uh, tortoiseshell puss up at the stables, eh? The moment he had said it, everyone realized the blunder. One does not usually discuss these matters in public, said Tobermory frigidly. From a slight observation of your ways, since you've been in this house, I should imagine you'd find it inconvenient if I were to shift the conversation onto your own little affairs. The panic which ensued was not confined to the major. Would you like to go see if Cook has your dinner ready? asked Lady Blimley hurriedly, affecting to ignore the fact that it was at least two hours to Tobermory's dinner time. Thanks, said Tobermory. Not quite so soon after my tea. I don't want to die of indigestion. Cots have nine lives, you know, said Sir Wilfrid heartily. Possibly, answered Tobermory. But only one liver. Adelaide, said Mrs. Cornett, do you mean to encourage that cat to go out and gossip about us in the servants' hall? The panic had indeed become general. A narrow ornamental balustrade ran in front of most of the bedroom windows at the towers, and it was recalled with dismay that this had formed a favorite promenade for Tobermory at all hours, whence he could watch the pigeons, and heaven knew what else besides. If he intended to become reminiscent in his present outspoken strain, the effect would be something more than disconcerting. Mrs. Cornett, who spent much time at her toilet table and whose complexion was reputed to be of a nomadic, though punctual disposition, looked as ill at ease as the major. Miss Scrawen, who wrote fiercely sensuous poetry and led a blameless life, merely displayed irritation. If you are methodical and virtuous in private, you don't necessarily want everyone to know it. 
Bertie Van Ton, who was so depraved at seventeen that he had long ago given up trying to be any worse, turned a dull shade of gardenia white. But he did not commit the error of dashing out of the room like Odo Finsbury, a young gentleman who was understood to be reading for the church and who was possibly disturbed at the thought of scandals he might hear concerning other people. Clovis had the presence of mind to maintain a composed exterior. Privately, he was calculating how long it would take to procure a box of fancy mice through the agency of Exchange and Mart as a species of hush money. Even in a delicate situation like the present, Agnes Resker could not endure to remain too long in the background. Why did I ever come down here? she asked dramatically. Tobin Murray immediately accepted the opening. Judging by what you said to Mrs. Cornett on the croquet lawn yesterday, you are out for food. You described the Blimleys as the dullest people to stay with that you knew, but said they were clever enough to employ a first-rate cook. Otherwise, they'd find it difficult to get anyone to come down a second time. There's not a word of truth in it. I appeal to Mrs. Cornett, exclaimed the discomfited Agnes. Mrs. Cornett repeated your remark afterwards to Bertie Van Ton, continued Tobermory, and said, That woman is a regular hunger marcher, should go anywhere for four square meals a day, and Bertie Van Ton said. At this point, the chronicle mercifully ceased. Tobermory had caught a glimpse of the big yellow tom from the rectory working his way through the shrubbery towards the stable wing. In a flash, he had vanished through the open French window. With the disappearance of his two brilliant pupil, Cornelius Appen found himself beset by a hurricane of bitter upbraiding and anxious inquiry. They were frightened. The responsibility for the situation lay with him and he must prevent matters from becoming worse. Could Tobermory impart his dangerous gift to other cats? was the first question he had to answer. It was possible, he replied, that he might have initiated his intimate friend, the stable puss, into his new accomplishment, but it was unlikely that his teaching could have taken a wider range as of yet. And with that, I end the reading of Tobermory, and you can continue it on YouTube. Just put in Tobermory, Saki, and you will hear wonderful British actors. The Literary Catcast is recorded in my Holland Avenue studio in Dallas, Texas. It is my great joy to bring you this podcast, and we can stay in touch in two ways. On Facebook, at the page of the Literary Catcast podcast, and on Instagram, where you can see all of the cats that voice the episodes. Its address is the Literary Catcast Podcast underscore cats. And now stay for the final sound of the cats. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.